Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Eight fifty-eight a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 17th of February, 2022, and this is episode 547 of Bitcoin. And if you'd like to help me out, uh, you can always do so by podcasting 2.0 if you just have to know. That way you can stream me sats directly to my lightning node, which is sitting about a foot and a half, two feet away from me in a Raspberry Pi box that cost me about, oh, I don't know, 45 bucks. And it enables me to, without anybody in between, to accept your kindness while I stream you these dulcet tones. If you don't feel comfortable with that, the Patreon that I set up is doing okay. It, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised. It is centralized. Yes, it could be taken away from me at any moment if I do something wrong. I get all that. But I was asked by listeners, can you please, please, please have a non-Bitcoin mode of support? So I did that. And it is Patreon. Bitcoin and podcast. So just look for the Bit or Bitcoin and podcast on Patreon. And if you want to uh, support me there, uh, I well, I have nothing but great thanks for you. Now, the news. You want to do it? Yep. We're gonna have to do it. We're gonna have to talk about this mitigating risk bill from the United States Senate. Uh, Brian Neuer is going to explain what the hell this is all about from Cointelegraph. New bill aims to mitigate risks to United States from El Salvador's Bitcoin law. Oh, you're so scared of seven million, a country of 7 million people that you've got to actually write a bill so that somebody will write a report on how this screws your day up and pisses in your Cheerios. Okay, well, that's fine. A bipartisan group of senators introduced legislation in the United States Senate that seeks to mitigate perceived risks posed by El Salvador's adoption of Bitcoin as a legal currency. The proposed Accountability for Cryptocurrency in El Salvador Act, or ACES, aims to mitigate potential risks to the United States financial system, such as money laundering and terrorism funding. Where's the child trafficking? You know, you're always forgetting the big one there. The bill was introduced by Senators James Reich, Bill Cassidy, and Bob Menendez signing on. Senator Reich wrote in the Wednesday announcement, quote, El Salvador's adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender raises significant concerns about the economic stability and financial integrity of a vulnerable U.S. trading partner in Central America, end quote. Senator Cassidy wrote that recognizing Bitcoin as official currency opens the door for money laundering, cartels, and undermines United States interest. I had no idea that we were such a weak country that a country like El Salvador could undermine our interests. Wow. If the bill passes, it would give federal agencies 60 days to submit a report that assesses several aspects of the Central American nation's abilities regarding cybersecurity and financial stability. The first part of the report would assess how El Salvador developed and enacted the Bitcoin law and how El Salvador will mitigate the financial integrity and cybersecurity risks from digital assets, whether it meets financial action task force requirements, oh Jesus, the impact on individuals and businesses and the effect crypto will have on its economy. I'm going to pause there. <clears throat> why are they why are they integrating financial financial action task force? We're not beholden to the FATF. There's no part of the United States law, constitution, bill of rights, senator or the Senate, the House of uh, Representatives, the presidency or the judicial branch that has that is beholden at all to FATF. The fact that we're just not telling FATF to Go sit and spin, pound sand, throw your thumb up your ass. I don't know. 
it, it, it amazes me that they have pulled FATF out of their ass on this for introduction to United States legislation. The fact that it is now part of the congressional record forever, and I know there's been several other mentions of FATF and they're all in the congressional record, but every single time that we do that, we're giving teeth to the monster that is FATF. And it doesn't even have to be a monster. It can just simply be a slimy eel. We chop the head off, gut it, and then fry it on, you know, barbecue or something like that. It's disgusting that we're just kowtowing to these people. Anyway, <clears throat> let's see. The next part of the report would describe El Salvador's internet infrastructure and assess, quote, the degree to which cryptocurrency is used there custody of funds, the potential for hacks, and the rate of financial access underprivileged or unbanked Salvadorans enjoy. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Here's an excerpt from the bill. To require reports on the adoption of cryptocurrency as legal tender in El Salvador and for other purposes, be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congr Congress assembled, this act may be cited as the Accountability for Cryptocurrency in El Salvador Act or ACES Act. All right, so that's the, the top of the bill. <clears throat> Following the issuance of these reports, the bill would stipulate action plans from various agencies based on the findings. Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele reacted against the perceived interference in his country, tweeting, You have zero jurisdiction on a sovereign and independent nation. We are not your colony your backyard, or your front yard, end quote. Damn, nice. El Salvador's government passed the Bitcoin law in June of 2021, making Bitcoin a legal tender in the country and subsequently forcing businesses to accept it as a means of payment. No, you know, honestly, I haven't seen anybody be sent to jail because they didn't accept Bitcoin. So the word forcing is not applicable here at all. Please do better. The law has seen some opposition from domestic lawmakers in the International Monetary Fund, which has urged President Bukele to repeal the Bitcoin law numerous times, most recently January 25th. It has, of course, been praised by proponents of the world's largest crypto, crypto by market capitalization. Yeah, 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 we know. So here we are, interference. We're going to, you know, we've got a bill on the floor of the Senate that is going to require somebody to write a report. And then action will be taken against one of the smallest Central American and South American countries known to mankind. It's fucking ridiculous. Cuba was way more of a threat back during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I know that a lot of people here don't remember that. I, I barely, actually, I don't remember it because I was just very, 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 very small. But, you know, we, I grew up in the aftermath. Actually, I, actually, I wasn't even born during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, but I did grow up in the aftermath of all that shit. And the whole point is that Cuba was, you know, 70 miles off the coast of, you know, Florida. And if the Russians had, you know, if the Russians had been allowed to put their, you know, nuclear missiles there, they wouldn't have even had to have missiles that were orbital. They could have struck Washington, D.C. within a matter of 15 minutes and never left the atmosphere. So they're very cheap missiles to build, fuel, and, you know, maintain. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. You know, intercontinental ballistic missiles, on the other hand, very, very large outlay of cash for everything from fueling, development, staging, everything. You know, that one, I, I could see people pissing their pants on, you know, about Cuba, even though it was a small country. But dude, El Salvador, because they're adopting a money, if it was the Chinese one, I could see them pissing in their pants. But Bitcoin is the one thing that's going to combat China's currency from taking any kind of hold in South America, Central America, it's a weapon that the United States could actually use to protect itself if they knew how to use it. And that's the problem is that we've got a bunch of boomers that literally are, are so clingy to the legacy system that they will in infuriatingly passionate prose will defend the legacy system and not understand its ability, Bitcoin's ability to defend against the shit that they're going to have to defend against anyway. Sort of like Patton. After they uh, took Europe, <clears throat> Patton was famous for, uh, actually he got, this is one of the reasons we people think he actually got fired, is that he was calling for war against Russia uh, right after we had won in Europe. 
right after, I mean literally the day after VE Day or Victory in Europe Day, General George Patton was telling the Commander-in-Chief of the United States that we should go ahead and invade Russia. And they thought he was crazy. They thought he was insane, but George Patton actually knew. Not, And I'm not saying that we should have invaded Russia. I'm just saying he knew what was coming. He saw the winds changing immediately. He was a, he was a, a very deft politician. And what he was saying is that, look, we're going to have to fight the Russians eventually. We might as well do it since we've got the army here to do it. And we're on the same landmass, so we can just roll into Russia and just go ahead and clean their fucking proverbial clocks. And they fired his ass. And what happened after that? In the 50s, the Iron Curtain fell, and we had decades of Cold War, and everybody was pissing their pants because we all thought we were going to nuke ourselves to death. In a way, Patton was was right. In this particular case, you've got a foothold. Like in the like at the very bottom end, or not the very bottom end, but getting close to the bottom end of the Western Hemisphere, you've got a foothold that is going to defend against any other currency from any other foreign nation that comes in to try and influence the leaders of those nations, and they're on our they're basically in our hemisphere. This would not be good if these guys had any sense about them at all. They would have written this bill to to assess the good things that Bitcoin is doing down there and figure out a way to use it for defense against other currencies moving in. And when those other currencies move in, so does the influence of the people that are printing that money. See what I'm saying? It's not all that hard. It's just, that's what the problem that Naib is saying when he says, okay, boomers, because they're just, they can't understand anything but their own legacy system. They can't understand anything outside of their control. And because of that, they're playing with fire. They're playing with fire. Now, Russia, speaking of, if Russia invites Bitcoin adoption, the global arms race will begin. Bitcoin Magazine, Mike Hobart is writing it. On February the 15th, the Russian Ministry of Economic Development signaled a bullish development around Bitcoin reduced costs for Bitcoin miners. But what can we make of this? First, the obvious. Yeah, it's bullish. The Russian ministry is reportedly considering energy tariffs for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency miners, as well as taxing cryptocurrency to ruble conversions. As long as said facilities are constructed in particular regions, you don't want Bitcoin miners just popping up anywhere, not that they operate in this matter anyway. One of the justifications from the ministry is noted here has been the Bitcoin mining incentivizes great increases in energy generation while allowing for rapid pivoting of demand by the grid. This means that if energy demand were to shift quickly, say in the wake of unorthodox weather situations, then the grid has the capability to limit or shut down miners with the intent of supplying energy demand where it is most pertinent. Secondly, this places pressure on Western powers. The United States, the United Kingdom, and the European Union have been slow to make concrete decisions on Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining facilitation. Which isn't surprising in the least. Not only does Bitcoin censorship resistance and decentralization threaten the feasibility of the SWIFT system, but they also make controls over capital flight much more difficult to enforce. Furthermore, there is concern around inflation sticking around, particularly as it might affect the price of energy. This is another area in which Russia may play a pivotal role as incentivizing Bitcoin miners to bring business within their jurisdiction would not only provide economic stimulation to in from to in the form of infrastructure projects, but would also strengthen the resilience of the grid by providing an additional source of monetization that is demand flexible. As the cost of natural gas increases, the incentives to invest in renewables decreases due largely to the risk of intermittent production. It is for these reasons that Russia would be pressed towards seeking to mitigate energy cost inflation going forward in the form of incorporating Bitcoin mining operations into energy projects. These justifications suggest that Russia is interested in incentivizing Bitcoin mining within its borders in addition to the following points. One, inflation is gripping energy markets. What started as a move to cleaner energy sources become a massive liability during the COVID-19 lockdowns. 
When economies pause, demand does not, which includes demand for energy. Two, tangentially, the globe has been aggressively reducing nuclear energy generation since 20 or 2005. This is largely because facilities capable of generating this energy have been well past their safety, safely functioning age. Unfortunately, officials could not have picked a worse time to shut down this potent and efficient form of energy generation. Now there is dramatically reduced resilience in the grid, meaning that only things we have left are fossil fuels and highly unreliable energy sources, aka renewables. These sources also require massive amounts of fossil fuels to not only produce but to extract from the earth. Three, with energy markets experiencing inflation, the cost of goods and services are also on the rise. As mentioned before, we need to expend energy in order to generate energy. This means that the costs of resource extraction, transportation, refinement, packaging, and storage by relation will also all be experiencing increases in cost, regardless of what the CPA, CPI might say. And four, if goods and services are falling to the whims of inflation, this also means that food is being impacted by inflation. As the energy cycle dictates, life requires energy to propagate. So, by relation, agriculture and livestock also require significant measures of energy in order to provide the food that our children and our communities rely upon to grow healthy and strong. This energy comes in the form of seed, feed, water, equipment, fertilizers, pesticides and herbicides, and so on and so forth. Now we come full circle back to recent developments out of Russia and now China. On February the 2nd, Russia announced a ban on ammonium nitrate exports through April with the intent of being more capable of supporting domestic agricultural efforts. The problem? Russia is the United States' leading source of ammonium nitrate, a very important ingredient for munitions productions, adding further weight behind recent developments and activities on Russia's western border. Going further on the fertilizer thread was China's banning of fertilizer exports last summer. However, the crumbs of this Hansel and Gretel tale don't stop there with the aforementioned points we get enough scope to see how inflation is significantly impacting all of us, but there's more. Consider Russia's activity in Ukraine and how it is stoking the flames and fears of war. The normal economy is heavily reliant on energy and war magnifies energy demand by an order of magnitude, if not more. If Russia is intent on war, the European Union will require significant amounts of energy to facilitate a resistance. In this particular case, said energy would be coming in the forms of oil and natural gas. And who is the EU's largest source of energy? That's right, it's Russia. To make matters worse, Germany is the leader of manufacturing in the EU. And what country does Germany rely on heavily for trade in order to sustain said manufacturing? China. To make matters even more complex, China is applying militaristic pressures of its own upon Taiwan, a key player in the global chip manufacturing space upon which technology in general relies upon heavily. If war grips this area of the world, I would expect further increases in prices across the board as technologies would increase in price due to consistent increasing demand meeting restricted supply if said chip manufacturing sites were to go offline. Now, for a really big question, big in the sense of implications on historical, geopolitical, and even individual levels of big, where does Bitcoin fit in? In incentivizing mining operations, Russia is signaling increasing support and appreciation for the nascent asset and technology stack that accompanies Bitcoin's network operations and incentives. Additionally, because Bitcoin operates outside of the purview of any one nation or group's borders, the risks of sanction is all but eliminated if trade is done via a neutral asset such as Bitcoin. Furthermore, a nation that were to adopt such a neutral asset via trade would open up its coffers to trade with quite literally anyone inviting an influx of demand for goods and services rendered. The United States and its allies are now effectively backed into a series of corners. Can the United States attempt to ban Bitcoin in its transactions? It can try, but will fail. China has already tried to do so multiple times, and the same goes for India. Not to mention the United States has a multitude of politicians advocating for Bitcoin adoption, like United States Senator Cynthia Lummis and state governors showing political support for the asset and network. 
On top of that, there's the massive inflows of network hash rate that came to the United States shores after China's infamous mining ban. And going even further, there's the consideration that the FDIC has been looking into providing support for American banks to hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet. As the saying goes, Bitcoin is for friends and enemies. Are Russia and China pushing their agendas to not only get what they want, but also force U.S. and other Western powers into inflationary environments to weaken the petrodollar hegemony? And in doing so, will Bitcoin be capable of proving to the world that it truly is an asset of the future where allies and foes trans transact equally? Then, in this environment, could we also see both sides for Bitcoin adoption and proliferation as each side aims to keep pace with their rivals? Mike, don't end your don't end articles on a question. That I I I hate to say it, but that's actually extraordinarily bad form. Give me something with a period at the end of it, not a question mark. Okay, so yeah, this is this is an interesting interesting situation. You know, Bitcoin came on the scene almost magically to deal with, well, first popped on the scene 2008, 2009. <clears throat> Depending on, you know, if you want to say the production of the white paper or publishing of the white paper in October of 2008 was it, or January 3rd when the first, uh, <clears throat> of 2009 when the first block was minted, it, it doesn't matter. It came as a, as a resounding rebuttal of the 2008 financial crisis. And it kind of just, you know, we've kind of been laying low. And here we get into today where we've gone through these these pandemics. And now on the other side of the pandemics, we're looking at the possibility of some kind of world war. It's a very real possibility. It's not something to be taken lightly. I mean, I was saying yesterday that Putin's sitting back in his chair and laughing. And while he probably is, that doesn't mean that he has zero intention of going to war and taking Ukraine. He, he very well may. I don't know what's in the man's mind and nobody else does either unless you're sitting down at a bar drinking some vodka with his ass. You don't know. I don't know. Nobody really knows what the hell's going on in the man's mind. However, I would not put it past him. He's not exactly a weakling. I mean, I, do I admire him? Not, well, no. I mean, he's not exactly the nicest guy in the world. Uh, he's probably going to be dictator for life, but... He is holding all the cards. I mean, I may not admire him, but I have to kind of respect him because he's holding all the cards. He can just shut the gas off to Europe and let him freeze. I'm surprised he hasn't. He's done some moves kind of like that, but I haven't seen any mass deaths in Europe over this winter. So I'm assuming that he hasn't cut everything off. <clears throat> but the fact that Europe has put themselves in this situation is, is a failure of quote unquote, the government. They should have been protecting the citizenry against this, and they didn't because they were so wound up with COVID and all the shit that they did not see that the moves that Rush, you know, that Putin was making. They probably, they, hell, they may have even saw it and just didn't give a shit. I don't know what was, what was going on in their minds, but if Russia does adopt Bitcoin or if they don't even have to adopt it, they can just say, eh, if you want to use it, use it. That's all they need to do. That is all they need to do is just not jail people for using it. Seriously, man. Because then they get a chance to see what it can do. And then if they do decide to, quote unquote, adopt it for trade amongst themselves with other partner countries, well, that's, that's, uh, that's a huge deal. And again, we've got Senator Reich chilling out with his little bill that is trying to make El Salvador look bad when El Salvador ends up being a ground zero point for South America and Central America, uh, being able to adopt something that if we don't and other countries do, and we are last on this hemisphere to really go through with it, we're going to find ourselves in a really shitty situation. That's all I'll say about that one. Now, Intel CEO being weird today, Scott Cipollina has it for decrypt.co. Intel CEO calls Bitcoin a climate crisis. This is very odd considering Intel is about to release their new super hyper-efficient uh, ASIC chip. 
Let's figure out the hell's going on here. Intel CEO Patrick Gilsinger, Gelsinger, yeah, Gelsinger, has criticized Bitcoin's impact on the climate during a recent interview with Bloomberg. Quote, oh God, a single ledger entry in Bitcoin consumes enough energy to power your house for almost a day. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. That's a climate crisis, he says. God have mercy. Bitcoin's impact on the environment is already well documented. According to Cambridge University, the Bitcoin network currently consumes an estimated 125 terawatt hours of electricity per year. That is more electricity consumption per year than most of the world's countries, including Norway, the United Arab Emirates, and Sweden. Previous research conducted by Decrypt also found that Bitcoin's wider carbon footprint was broadly equivalent to over 600 billion pounds of burned coal, 9 million homes average electricity consumption for a year, or over 100 billion miles driven by an average passenger vehicle. During the interview, the CEO also took the opportunity to promote the firm's own mining chip. Here we go. Which Gelsinger himself described as one that will help solve the climate issue outlined above. (laughs) Gelsinger said Intel was about to bring forward its new mining chip that would be less harmful to the environment. Intel Senior Vice President Raja Kaduri said last week that the chip has over 1,000 times better performance per watt than mainstream GPUs for Shaw 256-based mining. Are you screaming yet because of that? Are you screaming? GPUs are no longer used to hash SHA-256. Bitcoin mining in particular, which is based on the SHA-256 algorithm, hasn't used GPUs in eight years because it became unprofitable after the first ASICs were released. This is not GPU-based mining. Scott, get your shit together. There's only one shitcoin out there that uses G. Well, actually, there's not one. There's several, but it's Ethereum that uses graphics cards. Okay, they're the ones that are using GPUs. You want to blame somebody that you can't play video games all goddamn day on a cheaper fucking card? Then you need to go blame Ethereum. We got off of GPUs years ago. Years, years, more than a handful of years. It's this kind of bullshit reporting that I cannot fucking stand. It's completely wrong, and it completely gives the idea of people who don't know any better that it's that it's Bitcoin's fault. It's not. Bitcoin hasn't used GPUs in forever. Please, please, please stop reporting on that shit. Intel is also expected to reveal more details about the energy-efficient chip at this year's International State Circuits Conference, the ISCC. Thus, while Gelsinger's comments on Bitcoin's impact may appear as anti-crypto, he does remain optimistic on what he sees as the sector's underlying technological potential. Quote, we're going to work on fixing this because this is a powerful technology. An immutable, leverageable, digitized entry system can transform currency, transactions, supply chains. So yeah, this one's exciting, said the CEO. So you create a problem by going on Bloomberg and saying, oh, the horror. But then you provide the solution. Right? This is just nothing but a marketing advertisement using the power of what? Rhetoric. I've talked about it before. It's a powerful tool, but more often than not, it's a dreadful weapon. In this particular case, he's not using it as a tool. He's using it as a weapon. He's denigrating the very thing that he seeks to fix. So he, you know, he'll look like... You'll make Intel look like the savior for the climate. And because it won't matter, even at like, let's say the chip is 2000 times as fast. Let's say it like all of us, all of a sudden, if everybody replaced all their mining rigs, it would be like one quarter or one tenth of the energy that we're using so far. It won't matter because a whole fuck ton of people will go, well, shit, that makes mining rigs like really, really ultra cheap. And I'm going to buy more. Do you see how this works? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Humans are always going to rise to the upper bound of any system that they exist in and try to cross that boundary layer. 
they're never going to exist with headroom, okay? That headroom is where you are versus where you can go. We never do that. We always go, we always go shoot right through the headroom space and, and, and impact the underside of the envelope of any system that we're in, whether it's population, food production, energy production, it doesn't fucking matter. We're always going to reach for the bottom end of the envelope. And this is going to be the exact same thing. He's doing this as a sales pitch, all right? So don't, don't for any stretch of the imagination, think it's anything different. Um, Colorado to accept Bitcoin for state taxes. Nomsios has it. Colorado will soon start accepting Bitcoin as payment for taxes. Governor Jared Polis said in a Tuesday interview with CNBC, quote, we expect to accept crypto by this summer for all of the state's tax-related purposes, Polis said. Polis added that Colorado plans on enabling Bitcoin and cryptocurrency payments for other state-related fees in the months following the taxes rollout. Soon enough, a Colorado resident might be able to pay for their driver's licenses with Bitcoin. So there you go, Colorado falling, you know, falling in line. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, but this is the first uh, statement that I've actually seen from the governor himself uh, say, yes, we're going to do this. And it is still just as surprising to me today as it was yesterday. Flower power, Bitcoin miner heats greenhouses in the Netherlands. Joseph Hall talking about it for, from Cointelegraph. Bitcoin mining generates a lot of waste heat. As energy prices spiral out of control in Europe, miners have come up with creative ways of recycling said heat by solving valid Bitcoin blocks. Whereas a miner is drying wool from a local timber mill in, <clears throat> sorry, drying wood from a local timber mill in Norway. Across the North Sea in the Netherlands, a miner is heating greenhouses to grow produce and bloom Bitcoin flowers. In a win-win partnership between a Dutch farmer and a Bitcoin miner, Bitcoin Bloem mines Bitcoin and cultivates flowers in greenhouses in the province of North Brabant, southeast of Rotterdam. It works like this. Bitcoin Bloem mines BTC in the farmer's greenhouses and pays the electricity bill. The farmer gets free heat to grow their crops. Consider the Bitcoin flowers that Bitcoin Bloem sells the cream and the coffee to the climate-friendly operation. Bert de Groot, founder of Bitcoin Bloem, told Cointelegraph that the operation reduces the use of natural gas in the greenhouse growing process as Bitcoin miner heat replaces polluting gas heaters. They're not that polluting, guys. Sorry, natural gas is pretty clean. Plus, using BTC miners for heating saves both the farmer and Bitcoin Bloem a pretty penny. For the farmer, miner heat makes sense because natural gas prices have skyrocketed. For Bitcoin Bloem, it gets access to cheaper electricity. When asked whether the Netherlands could welcome more BTC miners in the future, DeGroot said that the country could be an optimal location for Bitcoin mining. Quote, most large-scale data centers of tech giants are located in the Netherlands, for example, Google and Facebook, because there is an abundance of cooling water and cheap electricity for large-scale operations, end quote. He added that the Texas solution would be interesting to roll out in the Netherlands. The Texas solution revolves about around load balancing and working in tandem with local authorities to regulate power demand. Currently, the Netherlands remains a strictly... Uh, relatively strict European country about cryptocurrency activities. However, grassroots movements such as Domino's franchises offering salary top-ups in BTC and Dutch football clubs supporting Satoshi's invention are building momentum. The flowers that Bitcoin blow themselves are appropriately named White Rabbit and Blue Pill. In a jibe at the energy fear, uncertainty, and doubt that is often slung at Bitcoin, the website jokes, quote, we offer you flowers for your Bitcoin because your Bitcoin is a waste of energy too. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And here's the thing. I've read a couple of, uh, I, I've read more than a few things that suggest that the following that I say is true. <clears throat> it doesn't cost any more to run a Bitcoin miner and heat your space as it does if you just got a space heater. Let me say that again. It doesn't cost any more money to heat the exact same space with a Bitcoin miner than it does with a standard heater. Okay? I won't say it a third time, but I really feel like I have to because it's fucking important, but I won't. The situation is this. If you can kill two birds with one stone, do it. If you can't, then figure out a way that you can. 
in this particular case, you're killing two stones or killing two birds with one stone. One, you're heating the space that you were going to heat anyway. And on the other end of it, you're getting Bitcoin out of it. How the hell do you not do this? If it is the case that it is 100% true that it costs literally no more money to heat the same space with a Bitcoin miner that it would take with a regular standard heater, then why wouldn't you? It doesn't make any sense to not do it. It's kind of ridiculous. Speaking of ridiculous, Canadian federal police blacklist truckers' Bitcoin addresses. Namcios has it, Bitcoin Magazine. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, Canada's federal and national police service, has issued an order to all FinTrack related companies in the country demanding them to cease transacting with Bitcoin addresses allegedly associated with the Freedom Convoy's fundraising efforts. The order, seen by Bitcoin Magazine and first reported by the Countersignal, details an ongoing investigation by the RCMP and the Ontario Provincial Police on Bitcoin donations received by the truckers protesting in Ottawa, Canada's political center, for the end of COVID-related mandates, a movement deemed illegal by the administration that recently prompted Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau to invoke the Rare Emergency Measures Act, Quote, pursuant to the emergency economic measures order under subsection 19 slash one of the Emergencies Act, there is a duty to cease facilitating any transactions pertaining to the following cryptocurrency addresses the order stated. And then oh, obviously the addresses are listed. The document then lists 29 Bitcoin addresses that have transacted up to $1 million worth of Bitcoin. Additionally, the RCMP is interested in obtaining information about any movements to or from these addresses. Quote, any information about a transaction or proposed transaction in respect of these addresses is to be disclosed immediately to the Commissioner of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police at Cryptocurrency NHQ Crypto Common Air DG at RCMP GR. It's their email address. My God, what a brutal email address. The federal police served uh, service asked in the document, uh, that's what they were asking. Please email us to rat out your, your fellow man. Despite its limited impact, the order puts truckers in a difficult position. Although it doesn't prevent peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin transactions from occurring, it does make it harder for protesters to convert Bitcoin back to Canadian dollars as regulated off-ramps fall under the RCMP scrutiny. Financial services providers like popular Canadian Bitcoin exchange Bull Bitcoin and ShakePay are registered with FinTrack, meaning they might prevent deposit and withdrawals to and from the addresses listed on the police order. It is unclear whether the restrictions apply only to the addresses specified in the document or if the RCMP would attempt to track the movements of funds to subsequent Bitcoin addresses through chain analysis efforts, effectively extending the blacklisting. So... Okay, so how do you get around this? Circular Bitcoin economy. <clears throat> we talk about it all the time. We've been talking about it for years. But this is the time where it really becomes necessary to do so. That doesn't necessarily mean that that cures everything here because the, the authoritarianism is so great in Canada right now. I mean, it's like I haven't seen anything like this since fucking North Korea. I mean, this is terrible. These people are, are absolutely just, they're crazy. They're, they're insane. It's just like this. There's no, there is no interpretation of what's going on in Canada other than North Korean style authoritarianism and totalitarianism. And it's just disgusting. But again, even if it was a circular economy, let's say a restaurant, you know, across the street from where one of the uh, truckers are parked. Uh, let's say the trucker goes into the restaurant and says, you know, eh, I'd really rather just use Bitcoin because of this whole emergency powers act thing. And the guy goes, yeah, sure. I'll do it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take Bitcoin for, you know, a Euro or something like that. I, you know, does the RCMP have, you know, the ability to go in and, and harass this guy or possibly take, a, you know, his entire livelihood away? Because honestly, I think, I think that they would not have the jurisdiction or the authority, but they, they would just do it anyway, because that's what they seem to be doing. And until the people of Canada really, 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 really rise up, and start doing the things that nobody wants to actually see happen, this shit's just going to continue. I don't want to see it happen either, but at one point or another, I, I, I don't know what it is that, that these leaders want. I, I really don't. I mean, I, the only thing that I can attribute any of this to is that they're just flat ass insane. Anyway, let's run the numbers.
energy ch- taking it on the chin. West Texas Intermediate down 2.2%, but still at $91.6 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise down 2.14% to $92.78. Natural gas is also down 1.65%, but still getting 4 bucks and 64 cents per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline is down over 2% to $2.61, which isn't going to help, you know, your common man. Gold, however, Peter Schiff, very happy. So expect lots of anti-Bitcoin tweets today. 1.41% of the upside for the shiny metal rock. It's almost going to break $1,900. It's like, it's $2.20 away from $1,900. bucks. Might you know, may, I don't know. Tweet to to Peter Schiff and tell him congratulations. Finally, finally, he gets over 1,900. Silver is 0.64% up, $23.75 an ounce. Platinum is up a buck and a, no, not a buck, a point and a quarter. Uh, Copper is actually down half a point and palladium is rocketing up today, uh, 3.41% to the upside. Agricultural futures are fairly mixed. Wheat being your big winner today, 1.79% to the upside. Everything else is meh, but the biggest loser is coffee, 0.36% to the downside. We have the Dow down, uh, no, actually down 1.4%. S&P down 1.4%. NASDAQ down 1.7%. S&P mini is down 1.5%. Holy crap, they're getting, everybody's getting hammered today, including Bitcoin at 42,034 bucks. With 266,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours, that's 11,000 transactions every hour on the hour. We are above 1 million. We have 1,021,441 BTC changing hands in this cycle. 42,560 BTC are being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 3.8 BTC, a median transaction rate of 0.015 BTC or about 631 bucks. Uh, block times are very low, 8 minutes and 50 seconds, 0.06 BTC taken in fees every block, and 9.84 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24-hour period. And with a dump of almost 10% of hash rate, we're still at 209.9 exahashes per second. Shitcoin indicator, as usual, is Doge, 14.4 United States pennies. 1,330 transactions awaiting two blocks to clear. We have a 70, or $793.6 billion market cap, which is now sub 7% to 6.7, no, 6.37% of gold's market cap. And you can get 22.1 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,961,019.05 of. 3,456.8 of those are locked in the Lightning Network valued at $144.7 million, uh, being run over 20,028 nodes, sporting 85,822 payment channels that we know about, and 76.1% of all of it's being run over 11,584 Tor nodes, or at least the ones we can see. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Bitcoin Magazine uh, writing, the, or who's writing it? Oh my God. Oh, Anthony Feliciano is writing this one. How successful Lightning Network events bring about adoption. On a snowy evening in a bar near Denver, Colorado, 10 Bitcoiners got together to change the way businesses view Bitcoin and how they can attract a new type of customer. This event was put together by Crypto Beer Kings. Bitcoin event planner and consultant with the goal of showing a proof of concept to new merchants in accepting Bitcoin on-chain and Lightning Network transactions as another form of payment. How easy and seamless can the process be for a business to accept this new form of payment? Let's find out. The brewery that hosted the event does not, at the moment, accept BTC or Lightning Network payments. Nor did they know much about Bitcoin, but they were willing to allow the experiment. In order to set up the event, CBK arrived 30 minutes early, uh, 30 minutes or half an hour early to set up a BTC pay server that would act like a merchant payment processor at the microbrewery. 
In doing so, a web page on CBK's laptop was created to act as a point of sale store and their beers on tap were listed. It was a basic web page that any business can incorporate into their existing website if they choose to accept Bitcoin as a payment. A QR code was created on the screen, just as so many breweries and restaurants do now, that would take customers to the POS store where they could make their selection. <coughs> Excuse me. Once a selection was made, the beer was added to the cart, and with a simple click of the pay button, a QR code would appear, giving the thirsty Bitcoiner a choice of paying on-chain Bitcoin or via Lightning. And just like that, in a few seconds, gatherers at the event were using Strike, Breeze, Moon with two U's, or Blue Wallet to make their first Lightning Network beer purchase. I even went so far as to take a photo of the setup with the beer and the QR event code. I posted it for or to one of the few LN groups I'm involved with just to show how I how pumped I was for this event coming together. A friend was able to scan the QR code from the picture to the POS store and bought me a beer from a time zone away. That is the power of the technology. One attendee of the event called Bitcoin five-dimensional money and my friend had proved it. <laughs> nice. My fellow Bitcoiner gave me great feedback without prompting. Uh, some discovered a new brewery, while others got to experience transacting in Bitcoin or Lightning easily and seamlessly. This wasn't the case just a couple of years ago because the tech was still being developed for both merchants and customers. Most Bitcoiners have only heard of BTC Pay Server through podcasts or reading about it, but I was able to introduce some new people to BTC Pay Server, how it works, the setup, etc., etc. This is what it was designed for to act as a payment processor for merchants who wish to eliminate fees from middlemen, bring in new customers, and use 21st century technology in their businesses. Too often, we see Bitcoin as mainly a store of value, and this event served as a bridge between a merchant unfamiliar with Bitcoin and Bitcoiners who never would have appreciated the cold, snowy evenings at this microbrewery. Overall, this new system will improve both customer and merchant experiences, which will lead to continued adoption worldwide. Reflecting on the event, after the adrenaline came down, I realized I'm ready for the next experiment. This project took over a year and included quite a learning curve. The hard work, community support, and questions got me to this point. A successful event where everyone paid via Lightning Network that didn't feel hacky or gimmicky. Bitcoin and LN developments are improving every day, and the user base is growing by the millions. In-person events will happen more often, and both merchants and Bitcoiners will benefit. This will not be the last event. Crypto Beer Kings will be reaching out to more breweries, and with the support of the Denver Bitcoiners, we will keep adding more people to the Bitcoin lifeboat. So, on the same day, the IMF pressured El Salvador to remove Bitcoin as legal tender. Ten Bitcoiners got together in a bar near Denver on a snowy night to raise a toast to conducting transactions and sats to tell the IMF to go pound sand. Nice. Nice. This is really great. I'm, I'm, I just can't wait to see more and more and more and more of these things. Because <clears throat> one, I'm reading a book right now, as you might have guessed it, about farming and soil. And the guy writing it um, <clears throat> has said on a couple of occasions, farmers want to hear about new things that they can do on the farm, but they only want to hear it from other farmers. That's the way this works. I, the the reason I say that is that you need a demonstration. You need a demonstration from somebody that you can clearly understand. Your patrons. I love beer. I love microbreweries. But I also understand this technology. So because I visit microbreweries and for, well, actually I don't anymore because I don't have one close to me, but I used to frequent one in Lubbock all the time. Uh, Triple J's, if you're ever down in Lubbock, go out to Triple J's. Pretty good steakhouse. Their beer is pretty good. Um, it's a really nice place to be. But it, it would be somebody like me who would come in and instead, you know, basically quaff in beers and start talking to the, to the bartender and the manager and possibly even the owner saying, look, let's do an event here and I'll show you how this shit works. And we'll and 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 once the event actually occurs and they actually see holy and they and they got to do it like once, twice, three times, ten times, twenty times, and they do that and they present the QR code and then they see the the, the coming in. The last problem that we're going to have is 
how do they how do they off ramp? But more more to the point, why would you off ramp? That's where we're at. It's going to be easier and easier to show people how easy it is to use the tech. The hard part is breaking their addiction to the legacy financial system just like the boomers on the Senate floor are doing with El Salvador. They can't see outside of their box. And maybe instead of yelling at them and calling them names, and I am guilty of that as anybody, maybe we should cut holes in the box that they exist in so that they can see outside. How exactly to do that is going to be different for every single person in every single event in every single situation. It depends is a huge thing when it comes to permaculture. Hey, should I plant trees on my land? It depends. Should I do grazing? It depends. It depends on your situation. It depends on who you are, who you're talking to, where you are, what their experience has been so far, all these things. But it's going to be people like Crypto Beer Kings who go out and are able to do this and function well and get things done. So consider figuring out, you know, a way to do it for yourself where you are under your circumstances with the people that you know. So Twitter has added Ethereum addresses to its tips feature. Jeff Benson, Decrypt.co. I know it's sickening, but might as well figure out what the hell's going on. As of today, global Twitter users can add Ethereum addresses to their tips. We've continued adding to our list of payment providers to ensure that tips offers options for as many people as possible, no matter where you are. Good Lord. Twitter tips first launched in September. It allows users to link their payment details for third-party services such as Venmo or Cash App. Anyone so inclined can pay a Twitter user for their insights. Twitter account holders who want to tip in BTC directly can also copy and paste another user's BTC address into their own wallet service or tip directly via the Strike wallet. There's no reason to, to read the rest of this shit. I, that's all I wanted to, to you know, show you is that you know, here's the statements that are made. Yes, Twitter has integrated uh, Ethereum tipping into their situation, but <clears throat> you know, this is a situation. This is a situation that reminds me of my situation of getting dumped off of Twitter. If I were to add my Bitcoin tipping uh, feature back to my Twitter, it's going to end up revealing that this is the exact same tipping address from Strike that I used with my now banned account from Twitter. That's doxing myself between the person, because I'm not, I mean, technically, I'm not allowed to even be on Twitter at this point, technically, because I did bad things or whatever it was. So that's why I don't have my tipping feature turned on for Twitter. I could easily add my Strike address, but it's, it's the same address. Now, here's what I would like to see out of people like Strike. Give me the ability to have multiple strike addresses that all go to the same, the exact same account. Because right now, the way it looks is that I have, I would have to open up yet another full banking account with strike to get a completely different address. So at one point or another, we really need to start looking at LNURL, you know, technology as being able to, you know, transcend to things like your strike identity. I, I know, man, it gets, it, it's getting weird, but these are the problems that these problems are going to pop up and they're never going to stop popping up. They're going, it's going to be a field of solution or a field of problems that we're going to need to, to, to discover solutions for. And every single solution that solves one problem is going to start another problem. It's just the way it is. This is the way life works. So anybody who's listening to this, that has any connection with Jacket Strike, tell me how I can get a different strike address that doesn't change what account it drops into so that I can turn Twitter tips back on. Because I guarantee you, if I do it right now, they'll go, aha. And it won't be a it won't be a person looking at it. It'll just be an algorithm saying, hey, you know, this dude's got this this active account has the exact same strike tipping address as the one we banned on January 1st, 2022. And then they'll, then the alarm bells will go off and then people will actually look and then they'll start digging deeper and they'll go, no, ban them. I can't use my strike, my strike tipping address at this moment on Twitter. Somebody from strike, please figure this out. Okay. Because it's really fucking annoying. I used to get tips that way, but I can't turn it on right now. United Arab Emirates 
reportedly plan to issue federal crypto licenses for VASPs, Cointelegraph's Prashant Jha. United Arab Emirates is reportedly uh, planning to issue a federal crypto license for virtual asset service providers by the end of the first quarter. The UAE Securities and Commodities Authority is reportedly in the final stages of finalizing legislation that would allow digital asset firms to set base in the country, reported Bloomberg. A national crypto licensing legislation would help the UAE with its goal to becoming a leading crypto-friendly jurisdiction. The regulators reportedly considered the Paris-based Financial Action Task Force guidelines Fuck and ongoing crypto policies in the United States, United Kingdom, and Singapore for framing its crypto license legislation. The new crypto license would reportedly take a hybrid approach where the chief regulatory body would handle regulations in consultation with the central bank, while local financial institutions can develop their own native licensing guidelines. Apart from the crypto license, the UAE government is also planning on building and regulating the crypto mining industry. Yeah, that's really all we need to know about that. It dawned on me while reading this that here's here's what's so funny about it is that here you got a nascent technology that is just sweeping all over the place. And we're talking about Bitcoin. Crypto can go pound sand. Uh, but it's it's becoming evident to all the people that are inside their legacy financial authority box with no holes cut in it yet that they're going to apply their legacy financial regulatory authority to something like Bitcoin. And at first, it's going to look like they're going to be able to do it. But here's the problem. Bitcoin has emergent properties. What does that mean? That means that we haven't seen everything that Bitcoin can do yet. And it will always come, somebody will always be able to pry apart part of Bitcoin and go, holy shit, we can use it this way too. And we can use it in this way. And we can use it in this way. We can use it. And if we develop a third layer, fourth layer, fifth layer, sixth layer technologies, or we start combining the second layer and third layer, or the fourth layer and the second layer, or the fifth and the sixth layers together, we get these different things that we can do. This does not bode well for legislation because the one thing that legislatures, legislators know how to do aside from, you know, regulate and legislate is that they know how to do it given the framework that they've been working on for hundreds of years. It is inflexible and Bitcoin is very flexible. So think about what happens when you try to apply an inflexible, uh, what about framework around something that is very flexible, you know, um, Bruce Lee used to have a saying, he said, be like water. Emergent properties are like water. Water can't be contained by something that is leaky. And all these regulating, you know, frameworks, they're all leaky. It's like trying to contain water in a steel, inside of a steel structure that doesn't have any walls, just steel beams. And it just, the water just pours over the beams. No matter what these people do for the amount of years that I have left on this planet, what I will continuously see is the following. A new regulation comes up. Two days later, somebody figures out how to circumvent that regulation. And they do it from a 10-foot by 10-foot room somewhere in the backwoods of fucking Arkansas. Good luck. Good luck. Now, let's see. India's crypto tax provides little legal uh, clarity for traders and exchanges. Prashant Jha, Cointelegraph. Earlier in February, Indian Finance Minister Nirmala Shithatharthman announced a tax proposal that would bring the relatively under unregulated digital asset space under the purview of tax authorities. The proposal, the proposal includes a 30% income tax on crypto returns and a 1% tax deducted at source by crypto exchanges on transactions above 10,000 Indian rupees or $133 US. The announcement came during the parliamentary budget session of 2022 and the government has already set April 1st as a deadline for crypto exchanges to comply with the new tax regulations. The introduction of the crypto tax was widely misreported as a form of legal recognition of cryptocurrencies in India, a notion that was debunked by the head of the country's central board of direct taxes. Sitharthman 
repeated a similar stance to Parliament a few days later, claiming that the government will only tax the profits from digital assets and in no way give, give them legal recognition. The legality of the crypto market will be decided later after appropriate legislation is induced in par Parliament. Good luck. So there you go. Nothing was actually given, you know, there was no clarity given on this. Just the, just, uh, the only clarifying statement here was that no, we're not making it legal, but we are going to tax the shit out of it. So you do with that what you want. Charlie Munger, uh, crypto like some venereal disease. We'll end it here. Um, Jason Nelson is writing for Decrypt. During a QA session at the Daily Journal annual meeting in Los Angeles yesterday, Warren Buffett partner Charlie Munger continued his verbal assault on crypto, this time likening the digital assets to a virus and not COVID or the flu. When the conversation turned to crypto, Munger didn't mince words saying, I certainly didn't invest in crypto. I'm proud of the fact that I avoided it. It's like some venereal disease, end quote. Munger went on to say, or Munger went on to list why he doesn't like Bitcoin, saying that extortionists, kidnappers, tax evaders, and terrorists use it. It's beneath contempt, he said. Munger is the 98-year-old vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, the multinational conglomerate run by famed business magnate, investor, philanthropist, and fellow crypto critic Warren Buffett. He explained that he's happily set in his ways. Quote, I have all kinds of things I'm not comfortable with. I think an old guy is entitled to invest where he wants to invest, end quote. Bunger went on to say during the live streamed event that he wished the United States had banned crypto immediately and that he admires the Chinese for banning it. Both Munger and Buffett have had harsh words for cryptocurrency over the years. In 2018, Buffett famously called Bitcoin rat poison squared. During an interview last May, Munger expressed his own disdain for Bitcoin. Of course, I hate the Bitcoin success. Nor do I like just shuffling out a few extra billions and billions and billions of dollars to somebody who just invented a new financial product out of thin air. What, like the United States dollar, Charlie? Although I will agree with him on this. I think an old guy's entitled to invest where he wants to invest. Well, that should go for everybody, shouldn't it, Charlie? I should be able to invest where I want to invest. You shouldn't be able to tell me what you think it should be illegal or not. Should I tell you that I think gold should be illegal? Should I tell you that investing in companies that are basically zombie, you know, have, are basically zombie companies with, you know, their, their ledger books look like the book of the fucking dead. Should I ask you to, you know, help me make that illegal so that I can't invest in it. You know, I'm a middle-aged guy. I should be able to invest where I want to invest without you doing anything about it. Screw off, Charlie. Well, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. It's Thursday. It's joke time. Actually, every day is joke time unless I don't do a joke. But this one <clears throat> is Dad Says Jokes. My boss arrived at work in a brand new Lamborghini. I said, wow, that's an amazing car. You know, if you work hard, put all your hours in and strive for excellence, I'll get another one next year. Yeah, yeah, that's sad. There's a reply here that says that's more a sad joke than a dad joke. And it, but it's true though. It's true. If you put all your hours in and you, you basically, you know, relinquish all of your life force to somebody else, they'll be able to put that with all the other life force they've collected from everybody else and, you know, do well. And that's not to, that's not to say that all, you know, that entrepreneurs are evil. We're, you know, we're not, I've, I've tried it before. You need people to work for you. And there, there are people that really do one, you know, would rather work for somebody else than try it for themselves. And it's okay. It's okay. But if you have any inclination at all that this is happening to you and it feels wrong, then it's probably better for you to figure out how to do something yourself. I have been trying to figure it out for fucking decades. I'm not going to lie, man. I've had so many failures. It's not even funny. And I've had, I've had almost zero success and I'm still trying because I think it's worth your entire life to do something for yourself. And that's one of the reasons why I, I continuously do this show. You know, I keep, you know, thinking that one day, one day it'll pay for itself. And it, you know, it doesn't, but it's, it's, 
It's something that I own. I can do it. It's mine. It's nobody else's. I get to do this. Nobody else gets to tell me how to do it. You know, I don't get paid to do, you know, advertising from people that whose products or services that I don't believe in. You know, I, I, I don't get handed a script saying you better say this and you better say that. I'm not going to fucking do that. You know, I might end up having to work at Ace Hardware here pretty fucking soon. And I don't care because I can always cut this show. I can always wake up at five o'clock in the morning if I need to again and cut the show, take the kids to school and then go work some bullshit, you know, bullshit job if it comes down to it. I'm good with that. But nobody gets to take this shit away from me. Nobody. And I'm never going to be allow myself to be put in a position where I'm worried about somebody taking my life force and converting it into one of the worst purchases you'll ever make in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, do not buy a Lamborghini. If you really want to drive one, then and you got the money for one, then instead of spending a quarter million dollars, here's what you do. You take $25,000, you spend $5,000 on round round trip first class tickets. Okay, maybe 10,000. I'm not exactly sure how many people you have in your family, but you spend it on a really kick-ass first class, you know, round trip to Germany. And then you go to the place that you rented a brand new Lamborghini from. And then you take that to the Autobahn and you drive your little heart out while renting the car, not buying it. And you spend what? Another, let's say $2,500, $5,000, keep it for a week, another $10,000 while you're staying in a really good hotel. Let's say for a week for $5,000, what we're up 25 grand, 25 grand so that you can drive a $250,000 car for a week. And by the end of that week, you'll have your fill. Dude, don't buy a Lambo. Just rent one, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.